Gallery of Curiosities. I am, as always, Osgood Underby, your humble host. So, here we are at the beginning of September, and already I can feel a chill in the air. It will be a long, cold winter. I've seen it in the cards, and the cards never lie. Except, of course, when they do. Perhaps it would be prudent to restock the liquor cabinet. I once knew a Russian fur trapper who claimed he could survive the entire winter on vodka alone. Now that's a Siberian winter, mind you, not one of ours. A true survivor, that Yuri was. And an alcohol tolerance worthy of a god. I never could keep up with him. He gave me this. Have you ever seen one? It's called a dinner dagger. This spike here on the end, he claimed it was the tooth of a dragon. Now, old as I am, I have never seen a dragon. And old Yuri was even older than I. Who am I to say what might still exist in that wild, frozen land? This evening's story comes to us from Benjamin Sperduto, a history teacher in Tampa, Florida. His short stories have appeared at a number of anthologies, including Coven, Bad Neighborhood, and Dystopian Express. His first novel, The Walls of Dalgrod, is available from Curiosity Quills Press. The author will be reading his own work. There Will Always Be Dragons by Benjamin Sperduto A priest once told Constantine that hell was not a place of fire, but of ice a place so cold that the frost would actually burn the sinful flesh away from his bones. The image took hold in his young imagination, and whenever he awoke during the winter night, he could not tell if he was alive or dead. The fact that he later renounced the existence of God did nothing to allay the primal fear of that frigid eternity of damnation. The steady clanking of steel wheels upon iron rails reminded Constantine where he was, and he rolled out of his tiny cot to light the lantern hanging nearby. He reached for the glass of vodka he'd poured before passing out last night and gulped it down. The alcohol burned his throat and forced his heavy eyelids open. He wondered what time it was. Someone knocked on the door to his compartment. Corporal Voskosensky? Yes? Just making sure you're awake, sir. We'll be arriving at the station in twenty minutes just before dawn then, he thought. Thank you, he said. 
Constantine made a feeble attempt to straighten the wrinkled uniform he'd slept in on the off chance that one of the officers who had the misfortune of serving in that far-flung reach of the Empire still cared more for a soldier's appearance than his performance. After giving far more attention to the maintenance of his Mosin Nagant rifle, he returned to his cot and picked up the book that had kept him company on the long journey to Manchuria. Written by a German philosopher, it made for intriguing reading with its focus on morality and judgment. His father would have liked it. When the train pulled into the station, Constantine hid the book deep inside his pack and left his small cabin. A young soldier led him through several passenger cars filled with laborers who had been brought east to work on the new Manchurian spur of the Trans-Siberian Railway. Considering the conditions they would be facing in the coming weeks, many of them would never return to the families they had left to support. Constantine stepped out of the train and his muscles tightened as the frigid air washed over him. The sun would not rise for another hour, and the platform was only lit by the greasy light from a large gas lamp that swung from a hook on a nearby post. There was not enough light to make visible the station itself, but it was easy to spot the two army officers standing ready to receive him. They were both middle-aged and bearded, though one was far more kempt than the other, a sure mark of an aristocratic background. Constantine doubted that he'd ever seen a day of real combat. There was a good chance that he would end up hating him before he left Manchuria. Gobrovoskosensky, I presume, the neat and tidy officer said. Yes, sir. Welcome to Manchuria, Corporal. I am Captain Alexander Rushikov. You'll be under my command for the duration of your stay. He gestured to the other man. This is Sergeant Kabalov. He will be your commanding officer in the field. I trust that you were made aware of the particulars of our situation before you left St. Petersburg? Yes, sir. Very well, then. I have pressing business that must be attended to this morning. Sergeant Kabalov will see to your needs and your deployment for today. I expect a full report on your assessments of the situation by tonight, Corporal. Good day. Sergeant Kabalov sighed and relaxed his posture once his commanding officer was out of sight. Welcome to hell, Corporal, he said with a grunt. Constantine could smell the heavy scent of alcohol on his breath. Come with me. The sun had been up for almost an hour by the time Sergeant Kabalov managed to get his squad organized and transported to the end of the rail line where dozens of Chinese peasants worked under the direction of a few Russian overseers. Constantine watched them as he exited the passenger car. They worked at a steady, mechanical pace, wholly oblivious to their surroundings for the most part, but he noticed that every few seconds one of the workers would cast a glance skyward for just a second or two before returning to his toil. After scanning the area, he realized that Kabalov had been speaking to him, but he doubted he'd missed anything he'd wanted to hear thus far. Nobody bothered doubling their guard until the third attack. I guess it was only after the second one that somebody realized it was more than a few angry farmers. Constantine took note of the soldiers standing watch around the Chinese laborers. Only a few soldiers were actually watching them. The others were scanning the skies or the tree line of the forest a few hundred yards to the west. Has anyone bothered to question the locals? Constantine asked. Of course, but these savages aren't much help. Captain Ushikov thinks they might be involved somehow. 
some sort of heathen devilry. I doubt that, Constantine said. Kabalov resumed speaking, but Constantine ignored him, instead looking out over the empty, frigid landscape. His eyes were drawn to the forest west of them. Even from a distance, he could see that it was very old, untouched by the iron wheels of civilization. Deep within that tangle of towering trees and twisted branches, something moved. At first, Constantine thought it was merely snow falling from the higher limbs, a large white mass plunging toward the earth. Then it moved upward, and all doubt fled from his mind. It's here, he said, readying his rifle. What? Kabalov said, his panicked eyes darting to the sky. Where? There, in the trees. Constantine intended to tell Kabalov to order everyone to take cover where they could, that their best chance for survival would be to flee, and trust that chance would take pity on their situation, but there was no time. The air shook with a sound more furious than a hundred cannons, and Constantine could only watch with awe as a great serpentine dragon slithered out from the cover of the forest and into the gray sky. He could hear none of his commanders screaming, nor that of the soldiers and workers. His ears were still ringing from that first thunderous cry. While the others panicked and scuttled about in confusion, Constantine stood where he was and watched the massive white beast glide effortlessly through the sky towards them. Its long, sinuous form writhed with a hypnotic grace, and were it not for the short, taloned limbs tucked alongside its body and the horn-crowned head, it might be mistaken for a giant snake. Constantine could not guess how the dragon kept aloft, for the two stunted wings just behind its forelimbs scarcely moved as it flew ever closer to them. Damn you, men! Stand your ground! Sergeant Kabalov's voice was muffled and distant, but clear enough to discern among the confusion. The soldiers he addressed were disorganized and frightened. Some dropped their rifles and ran, while others fouled wildly at the target still too distant to hit by chance. Constantine at last sprang into motion and seized Kabalov by the arm. No! Tell them to take cover! Kabalov ignored him and continued to bark at the few soldiers still capable of following orders. Somehow, he managed to organize them into a makeshift line, and they took aim at the rapidly approaching beast. Kabalov gave the order to fire, and the air crackled with the discharge of rifles. Constantine turned and dove beneath the train car that he had stepped off only minutes ago. He twisted around in time to see a burst of flame sweep across the frosty ground and engulf Kabalov and his men. Their screams quickly gave way to the loud pops of their ammunition exploding as the superheated inferno ignited everything in its ravenous grasp. Some of the fire licked at the side of the wooden train car, and it too began to burn. Before the dragon could circle around for another attack, Constantine rolled out from under the smoldering train car and ran toward the engine. But the train car exploded just as he cleared it, and the force of the blast threw him to the ground. He twisted onto his back to see the dragon slithering about to make another pass at the train. Its snake-like body changed direction instantly, with almost no loss of speed. Constantine had never seen anything move so fast. He scrambled to his feet and ran for the train's engine, his ears assaulted by the beast's monstrous roar. 
The air suddenly grew intolerably hot as he flung himself under the iron engine of the train. Eager flames licked at him as the dragon's fiery breath swept over the train, setting fire to the cars that were still untouched. The fire receded quickly, unable to burn any part of the engine, but a second blast followed quickly, and Constantine felt waves of intense heat eagerly clawing at him. He wanted to scream, but he bit his tongue, fearful of betraying the fact that he was still alive. When a third grout of flame and heat whipped under the engine, Constantine's head grew light and his vision blurred. A moment later, he lost consciousness. It was close to noon by the time Constantine awoke with the taste of ash and soot in his mouth. He was so astonished to be alive that he couldn't move for several minutes. When he finally accepted the fact that he hadn't been reduced to a pile of cinders, he crawled out from under the train engine. He was greeted by the kind of sight he'd expected, the kind he'd seen many times before. Everything within fifty yards of him was a smoldering ruin, and even the ground was covered with a thick layer of black ash. All that remained of the train cars were the metal wheels and hitches. Piles of charred bones were scattered haphazardly around the desolate scene, and even hours after the fact, he could still see thin waves of heat rising into the air. Hey, you there! Constantine turned and saw a small group of soldiers approaching. He didn't recognize them from that morning. Several hundred feet behind them, he could see the undamaged train that had brought them there. Are there any more survivors? One of the soldiers asked. Constantine glanced around the blasted landscape. No. The soldier looked as if he wanted to ask more, but he hesitated. Before he could gather his courage, a familiar voice sounded from behind him. Koprovoskasensky? Constantine didn't bother answering until Captain Ushakov pushed past his men to stand before him. His eyes never drifted to the bones that lay strewn at his feet. What happened here, Corporal? Constantine wondered if men like Ushikov had to practice being oblivious. He didn't bother answering. Corporal! What do you think happened, sir? Ushikov stepped forward and grabbed Constantine by his collar. Damn you, he said. I was told you were insubordinate, but I was also led to believe that you were capable of dealing with this problem. Now tell me what the hell happened here, Corporal, or I'll have you beaten. Constantine decided then that he indeed hated Ushikov. There were far too many officers like him in the Russian army. We were attacked a few minutes after I got here. It came out of the western wood and was right on top of us before we could do anything. And yet you managed to survive? I knew how to hide. Ushikov's eyes flared. Are you admitting to leaving your fellow men to die while you cowered in fear? Constantine never understood why the notion of self-preservation was only supposed to apply to officers and not to ordinary soldiers. There was nothing I could have done to save them. I tried to tell Sergeant Kabalov to have the men take cover, but he insisted on standing his ground. Corporal Voskosinski, you were sent here to kill this dragon, not flee from it like a frightened child. And I will kill it but I can't very well do that by standing like a fool in the middle of a wide-open ground waiting for it to roast me with its breath. Ushikov grit his teeth, but let go of Konstantin's collar. Fall in with the others, Corporal. We'll discuss this later. 
Keeping me here with the rest of your company is pointless, Constantine said. I should be out there trying to pick up its trail. For a long moment, Ushakov simply stared at Constantine before he narrowed his eyes and cursed. Very well, but I'm sending two men out with you. Constantine shook his head as the captain turned to leave. Not a chance. They'll give away my position too easily. Ushakov didn't bother turning around. It was not a suggestion, Corporal Voskosensky. It only took Constantine a few minutes to gather all the supplies he needed, but he was forced to wait for nearly an hour while Captain Ushakov decided who he was going to send with him into the forest. When Constantine was finally introduced to Privates Blagoy and Lenskovich, it was plain why they'd been assigned to him. Private Blagoy's soft face looked like it had never felt the touch of a razor. He carried out his every order with the enthusiasm and eagerness that could only be found among the ranks of naive enlisted peasants. The very thought of questioning an order probably gave him a stomach ache. The other soldier, Private Lenskovich, was a bit older and looked to have seen his share of combat. His face was grimly set, but his eyes were lively, eagerly darting around as if in anticipation of something unseen. Constantine noted how he carried his rifle slung lower than was normal, making it easier to swing it up to a firing position. Everything about Lenskovich's manner and appearance marked him as a killer. The army loved men like him, men who wouldn't hesitate to fire into unarmed crowds of filthy peasants who strayed too close to the Tsar's brilliant palaces. Even if he succeeded in killing the dragon, it was likely that one of those men, perhaps both of them, had been ordered by Ushakov to set a bullet aside for him. The western forest was not so dense as it appeared from a distance. Very little underbrush impeded their progress along the gently rolling terrain. Constantine walked a few yards ahead of the others, his eyes scanning for signs of the dragon's passage. He spotted freshly broken limbs among the tallest trees where the beast had slithered past to remain unseen by its prey earlier that morning. They were moving in the right direction. The trail in the trees led them deeper into the forest. Soon the snap branches could be found closer to the ground, and Constantine saw dark marks along the trunks of the trees where the dragon's scales had rubbed against them. A few trees had actually been snapped in two about halfway between the ground and their highest branches. To the untrained eye, it looked as if they'd been struck by lightning. Constantine said nothing of his observations, and his two companions asked no questions as he guided them through the wood. On two occasions, he lost the dragon's trail completely and wandered aimlessly for several minutes before he picked it up again, but neither of the soldiers seemed to notice. It was getting late in the day when Constantine found what he was really looking for. He stopped and knelt to examine a patch of underbrush. Although the thorny branches were without leaves or blossoms, they looked vibrant and alive compared to the tangle of limbs near the center of the bush that were black and withered. There was no ash, but a sickening, burning stench clung to the cold air. Constantine listened carefully and heard no sounds of any living creatures apart from them. Sir? It was young Bogoy who spoke, his voice very nearly trembling. He hadn't made a sound since Captain Ushikov introduced him and Constantine wondered if he'd spent the last few hours working up his courage to speak. Keep your voice down, Constantine said. What is it? 
What are you looking at, sir? Do you see this spot? He pointed to the patch of withered branches, which was about two feet in diameter. Blagoy walked up alongside him for a better look. What is that? It looks like it's rotted or something. No, Constantine said. It's a burn mark. The saliva of most dragons is like an acid. It burns through just about anything given enough time. Helps them digest things better. So I've been told. Lanskevich spoke up in his gravelly voice. Great. So what does that mean for us? The acid loses its potency after being exposed to the air for a few seconds. Usually you only find traces like this in places it's been feeding. This area is probably its hunting ground. Lanskevich went for his rifle, his eyes scrambling for signs of danger. Calm down, Constantine said. If it was anywhere nearby, we'd know about it. You mean we would hear it? Lanskevich asked. No, I mean we would be dead. Come on, we have to try to find its lair before it gets dark. Constantine pressed on as the shadows surrounding them slowly lengthened. So, I guess it's true what they say about you then, sir. Constantine didn't bother to look back at Blagoy. That depends. What have you heard? Word is that you used to hunt dragons in the Caucasus before you were reassigned here. Word travels fast. Do you know where they come from? Are they the work of the devil? No, they're just animals. Don't let any fool priest tell you differently. I've seen them bleed and die without the help from any divine intervention. This one must be the work of the Chinaman sorcery, Lanskovich said. Those brutes are dumb enough to summon forth a creature like this. Listen to me. There's nothing magical about it, Constantine said. You can't just make one appear out of thin air by burning some incense and talking in tongues. They're like any other animal. They just want to live their lives and be left alone. But if that's true, well, why does this one keep attacking us? We've done nothing to harm it. Now Constantine turned and looked back at Blagoy. Haven't we? We're building a railroad line across a stretch of country that's been untouched by the modern world until now. Between the noise of the trains themselves and the blasting we've done, is it any wonder that it's mad at us? Lanskovich just shrugged, but Blagoy appeared to take what he said into consideration. Constantine returned his attention to the dragon's trail, which wound through the forest for another half mile until they emerged from the forest and found themselves upon the shore of a small lake. A thick layer of ice covered the surface, save for one area along the shore a few hundred feet from them. Constantine cautiously made his way over to the hole, which proved to be much larger than it appeared at a distance. The hole was about thirty feet across and extended some twenty feet into the lake. Small pieces of ice floated on the surface of the water inside, but they were too thin to be a part of the original ice layer. The edges of the hole were rounded and smooth, there was no sign of the jagged edges that would indicate the ice had been broken through. This is it, Constantine said. This is what? Lanskovich asked. Its lair must be at the bottom of this lake. You see how this part of the lake hasn't frozen over. Never had a chance to because the dragon's always coming and going. Is it in there now? Blagoy asked. No way of knowing, Constantine said. He turned away from the hole in the ice and examined the forest behind them. There was a small hill at the edge of the tree line farther down the shore. 
The underbrush and the tree canopy were particularly dense there. This way. He led them down to the hill and made his way up to the top. It wasn't very high, but it was the only elevated ground in the area that afforded a clear view of the ice hole. Rifle at the ready, he carefully lowered himself into the tangle of dried branches, and when he lay flat on the ground, he took aim. From that position, he had a clear shot at the entire area surrounding the ice hole. Satisfied, he stood up and removed the heavy pack he'd been carrying all day. We'll wait here. If it's not in the lake, we'll catch it when it comes back. And if it's in there? Lenskovich asked. Now it was Konstantin's turn to shrug. Well, it has to come out sometime. The already cold temperature plunged after the sun went down and the three soldiers huddled together on the ground beneath several layers of blankets in an attempt to keep warm. Lying on the ground helped them avoid the worst of the increasingly strong wind, but such knowledge was far from comforting considering that they faced the very real prospect of freezing to death before even catching sign of their intended target. Constantine refused to start a fire, knowing that the dragon would be able to spot its light from miles away. Somewhere above the thick clouds, a full moon shone brightly, giving off just enough light to make the frozen lake visible. His eyes and rifle remained fixed on the hole in the ice that led to the dragon's lair. Despite waking before dawn and surviving an arduous day, he felt little fatigue. Anticipation gnawed at his muscles, and his nerves remained tightly coiled. He kept his mind focused on the target, both the one in his sights and the one that must eventually appear. Lanskovich had fallen asleep within an hour of lying down. Blagoy fared better, but his eyes were heavy, and Constantine felt his body occasionally relax, only to snap to attention within seconds. What's your name, Private? Pavel, sir. Don't call me sir, Pavel. If I didn't have experience with problems like this, I would have been discharged or shot long before I became a corporal. Why is that? Constantine smiled. Something one of my previous commanding officers called gross insubordination and a lack of respect for his royal majesty so great as to border on treason. He seemed to regard the second offense as the greater of the two. What did you do? Constantine did not answer immediately. His mind turned over the circumstances of the events a few times before he felt confident enough to recount them. I was stationed in St. Petersburg when Tsar Alexander died. My commanding officer there was a fat aristocrat who'd never seen a battle at a distance closer than a mile. He had me beaten because I didn't show for the funeral procession, though it was a wonder I was missed considering how badly the Tsar's idiot son botched the whole affair. Why weren't you there? Begloy asked. Have you no love for Tsar and country? Not for the Tsar, especially the fool we're stuck with now. Alexander might have been an ogre, but at least he was competent. As for love of country, that depends on your meaning. If you mean love of fellow Russians, then yes, I have a great deal of love for my country. But if by country you mean the Empire, then no. Y you don't feel pride over what we've accomplished in so short a time? Uh, surely the coming century is destined to be remembered as Russia's, don't you think? Constantine laughed. You've been listening too much to the generals, I think. Look past all the bluster and you'll find the Empire is losing its grip. Someday soon we'll go to war with Japan over our meaningless holdings out here in the East. We couldn't supply an army in Crimea. How do you expect one to function out here with only a single railway? 
We've always overcome such challenges in the past, Blagoy said. We faced hardships, to be sure, but we are still here in the end. Look at our situation here, threatened by a monster known only through legend, and yet even a cynic such as you still hopes to prevail. Constantine shook his head. You missed the point. There will always be dragons. Whether they come at you with fire and claw, rifle and bayonet, or speeches and pamphlets, they'll always be there. Slaying dragons is a dangerous business. Sooner or later, one of them will be the death of you. Blagoy did not respond and said nothing for several minutes. Constantine couldn't tell what caused this silence, the thought of Russia's inevitable collapse or the very real prospect of their own deaths. Finally, the young soldier spoke up. Will this beast never show itself? Patience, Constantine said. Dragons are seldom in a hurry to do much of anything, unless they've set their minds to destruction. But you're certain it will be here at some point, right? The ones I've encountered spend most of their time sleeping, and they emerge only to eat every few weeks. But once a regular routine has been disturbed, they become much more active, sometimes forsaking their lair completely for days at a time. So it could be miles from here, then. It's possible. But this dragon could follow a far different pattern. Why do you say that? This one is different from the ones in the Caucasus. It looks and moves differently. There could be less obvious differences as well. Such as? Constantine made to answer, but as he opened his mouth, he detected a slight ripple upon the water below. Quiet, he said. It's here. The dragon pulled itself out of the water with slow, deliberate movements that did not resemble those of the airborne monstrosity that descended on Constantine that morning, but there was no mistaking the color of its scales and the shape of its ornate horns. Constantine was certain that it was the same dragon. He slipped his finger over the trigger of his rifle and moved the iron sights over the monster's head. More than half of the dragon's body was visible when Constantine finally got a clear view of its eye the only spot on its body vulnerable to a bullet. It would have been a difficult shot even in full daylight, but he found some reassurance in the fact that the wind had died down at least. There would be an opportunity, he knew, for only a single shot. If he were to miss, the dragon would immediately take to the air and either flee or attack, since most tended to be of a particularly aggressive bent, at least in his experience. He fully expected to be engulfed in a burst of flame within seconds of an errant shot. Pushing aside thoughts of a fiery death, Constantine held his breath and made final, minute adjustments to his aim before he pulled the trigger. A shot rang out in the night air. Constantine's ears rang from the unexpected report of the rifle to his right. In his preoccupation with aiming, he hadn't heard Lenskovich awaken. Lenskovich, you idiot! he said, turning to stare incredulously at the soldier. But I hit it! I hit it right in the head! Constantine realized his mistake the instant he glanced back to where the dragon had stood. It was gone. Move! Now! he said, as he scrambled to his feet. He seized Bagoy by the collar and half dragged him along as a grout of flame crashed down upon the hilltop. As they moved, he heard Lanskovich scream for one brief instant before the flesh was blasted away from his bones by the firestorm. The flames ignited the underbrush and trees atop the hill to cast blinding light several dozen yards in every direction. Although he could now see their path through the forest quite clearly as they ran, 
the illumination prevented Constantine from seeing anything beyond its reach. He only glanced to the sky once, and seeing nothing but a black void, he gave up trying to locate the beast until they were far enough from the burning hilltop. A monstrous roar caused him to slow his relentless pace. The dragon was somewhere ahead of them now. He nearly pulled Bogoy off his feet when he wheeled to his left with the young soldier in tow and charged deeper into the forest. A lance of fire cut through the treetops just behind them and would have incinerated them had they not changed direction an instant earlier. Constantine guessed that they only had a few seconds before the beast slithered around in midair to position itself for another deadly pass. So long as they remained among the trees, he would never get a clear shot at it, and the dragon would eventually chase them down. He had to get back to the clearing around the lake, he knew, if he wanted to make any sort of stand against the monster. Bogoy grasped for breath alongside him as they ran. The soldier was tired and probably in a mild state of shock after what he'd seen. Constantine knew that he had no chance of getting back to the lake if he had to drag Bogoy along with him. His eyes darted around in search of some hiding place and quickly spotted a small outcropping of rock at the foot of the hill. There was just enough room among them for a man to crouch down. Get to those rocks over there, he said, giving Bogoy a shove in their direction. The young soldier stumbled toward them and finally dove behind them just as another streak of fire tore through the treetops. Taking a deep breath, Constantine fell to the ground and rolled behind a thick tree trunk just as the flames swept across the forest floor. The firestorm sucked the oxygen from the air around him instantly, and to take another breath would have seared his lungs. A wave of intense heat struck him as eager, fiery tendrils spilled around the base of the tree and missed him by a matter of inches. When the dragon's fire abated, it left the area around Constantine in flames, but the fire didn't possess the same hellish, concentrated heat. Still holding his breath, he leapt out from his hiding place and dashed toward the lake. He finally gasped for air when he cleared the burning trees, and the dragon shrieked somewhere behind him. By some miracle of chance, the monster appeared to have lost sight of him as he raced over the uneven ground of the forest, for he reached the lake without having to avoid another bombardment of dragonfire. He emerged from the forest some distance from the burning hilltop where they'd first been spotted. The illumination from the flames was not so great as to spoil Constantine's view of the night sky, and he quickly spotted the dragon sweeping back and forth just above the treetops. He raised his rifle, took aim, and fired. The shot missed, which he had expected considering the distance and the motion of the target, but it got the beast's attention as he'd intended. It spiraled into the air several hundred feet, then straightened itself and launched toward him like a monstrous living arrow. Constantine worked the bolt of his rifle, ejecting the spent cartridge and sliding another into place. The dragon picked up speed as smoke billowed from its nostrils. Constantine raised his rifle and took aim, knowing that he would have only one shot. It was less than 200 yards away now. The dragon increased speed, its serpentine body rigid and straight. 150 yards. Constantine trained his sights on the beast's mouth. 100 yards. His finger applied pressure to the trigger. 75 yards. The dragon opened its mouth. 50 yards. Constantine fired. The bullet ripped into the soft flesh at the back of the dragon's mouth just as the fire churning in its gullet rushed forth to incinerate its prey below. 
A sudden rush of air sucked the flame through the bullet hole and into the dragon's horned skull. Its body jerked once grotesquely before fire burst forth from its nostrils, ears, and eye sockets. The body went limp then as it plummeted to the earth. Constantine leapt aside to avoid being crushed by the dragon's immense weight. The ground shook when it crashed down only a few yards away from him and a force of the impact threw him to the ground. His head hit something hard and Constantine fell unconscious. The sun was rising when Constantine opened his eyes again. He shook his head to clear up his blurry vision and saw the hulking, white-scaled corpse of the dragon before him. Faint wisps of smoke still issued from its nostrils and empty eye sockets. Carrion birds were already picking at it, digging their beaks under the steel-hard scales to reach the warm flesh beneath. He got to his feet and was amazed that he hadn't even suffered frostbite after being exposed to the cold for most of the night. A closer inspection of the dragon, however, revealed a slight shimmer in the air around it. Even after being dead for several hours, the beast still gave off a great deal of heat. Constantine! Constantine turned at the sound of Blagoy's voice and saw the young soldier staggering out of the forest. There he noticed the thin clouds of smoke rising from the trees beyond, a sign that only ash and charred wood remained of the raging fires of the previous night. Blagoy stopped about a dozen yards from him and stared at the dragon. By God, he said, you killed it! It was a lucky shot, Constantine said. Are you all right? Blagoy nodded. I passed out when I got to those rocks. When I came to a few hours ago, I was afraid to move, thinking that you were dead and that thing was still looking for me. When the sun started coming up, I came looking for you. Constantine said nothing. He noticed that Blagoy carried his rifle in his hands, not slung over his shoulder. The young soldier raised the rifle to take aim at his chest. Constantine sighed, but said nothing. I have orders from Captain Ushakov, Blagoy said. I expected as much. What did he promise you? A promotion? No, nothing. I am a soldier. I follow the orders I am given. You don't think to ask why he would want me dead? What does it matter? Constantine shrugged. I suppose it doesn't. The crack of the rifle's discharge broke the serenity of the morning and Constantine fell to the ground, clutching his bloody chest. Lying next to the enormous corpse of the dragon, he suddenly felt a strange kinship with the beast as his vision began to fade. Blagoy walked over to him, the barrel of the rifle hovering only a few inches away from his face. You were right about one thing, Constantine. Constantine smiled, his body quickly going numb. He managed a final whisper before the cold darkness overtook him. There will always be dragons. Well, I think that qualifies as a happy ending. 
in a Russian sense. Yuri certainly would have thought so. He never did adapt very well to the modern world, sadly. Couldn't quite get the hang of remembering to look both ways before crossing the street. Here's to you, Yuri. I think it's time for us to close for this evening. I wish to drink with the ghosts of old friends. These ghosts tend to get uh, just a little bit rowdy when they drink. Perhaps it's best if you go. But do visit us again next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. We're not sure if anyone besides our mothers are listening, so if you have a moment, we would appreciate some feedback on the show and the stories. Find us on Facebook, Patreon, WordPress, or Twitter to leave a comment, or write to us at curiousgallery at gmail.com. Tonight's story music was by Troika. Our theme song is Ashes, Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was released on September 3rd of 2016. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. Thank you.